Welcome to the Roxborough Church Podcast. For more resources and information, visit RoxboroughChurch.org. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. Today we're going to wrap up our study in the Gospel of John, and you're going to say, well, Pastor Ray, we're supposed to go through the entire book, and I know we're going to come one chapter short. So you got homework after today, which is to study chapter 21, but we're going, to, we're going to conclude our study of the Gospel of John in chapter 20 today. So if you get your Bibles out and turn to John chapter 20, let me hear amen when you get there. Amen. Some of y'all must have cheated, or you got electronic ones. Come on now. I had the page marked. I hadn't even opened it yet. Chapter 20 chapter 20. Let me also just kind of shout this out while you're doing it. If you see this shirt right here and you like it, this represents your church. If you like that, you can see us after church. We have new shirts that we'd like to help make available for people in the church. You can see us, see me after church for that. Then after that, you can see Pastor Crawford in the weeks ahead. So uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through the Gospel of John, chapter 20. We're only going to go through a couple of verses today. We're going to hint, we're going to click uh, cue in on verse 19, so you can go ahead and cue that up. We'll go to 2019, and we're going to start from there. We're going to just look at one story from this chapter, and then after that, um, we'll have a time of reflection and song, and then after that, Michelle and I are going to come together, and we're going to conclude the worship service with uh, just with a chance to share with you a little bit about what we're planning to do for the next 90 days, and to kind of have a, uh, you know, just a celebratory farewell as we get ready and uh, to step out into what God has ahead of us for a few days, and really charging you to stay grounded in what God has for you here for those next 90 days as well. Father God, would you bless your word as it goes forward? We're about to get into John chapter 20, verse 19. Father, I pray that there's a word in here for every one of us, Father, that we would be encouraged, charged, and challenged to go forward with the good news. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here it is. We picked, last week we talked about it, that Jesus, you know, the, the story that, that many of us have grown accustomed to hearing around Easter, that, that, that Jesus had been crucified, and the tomb was borrowed, and he was placed in it. And, and here we are now in verse 19, and we're picking up, um, this is the, the, the Sabbath day is coming to an end, and we know the good news that happens from here. So on uh, verse 19, on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive someone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. On the evening of that first day of the week, the, the conclusion of the Sabbath, the time of rest was over. Something new was birthing in and what was happening to kind of set the stage was the disciples had kind of locked themselves down. They had recognized that that in which they were following, had something had changed. And, and probably for a number of the disciples, they didn't really understand. It's not that they weren't bought in. It's not that they weren't all for. It's not that they hadn't believed. It's just that they had imagined, and it looked different. I was, uh, uh, in, in September, I had the chance with Michelle to, ch to celebrate our 10-year anniversary, and we went to Arizona. I had never been to Arizona before. I had no reason to think of going to Arizona before. And then someone mentioned to me that the Grand Canyon was there. 
I Googled what that was so I could understand it. And, uh, and then I said, you know, that's something sounds pretty cool. We should go look at it. But in my mind, I had imagined what the Grand Canyon would look like, you know? I just pictured like a big hole in the ground. Anybody ever watch like, all right, here you go, here you go. One of my, one of my favorite movies. Anybody, what's, that, what's the name of it? Oh, come on, come on, come on. It's got, it's got Bruce, who said holes? That is not it. Uh, it's, got, it's got Bruce Willis in it. The world's going to end and... That, that song by Aerosmith comes on. What is it? No, it's not Die Hard. Who said Die Hard? Armageddon. Thank you. Thank you. I knew that was it. Armageddon. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, when I, when, I, when I watched Armageddon, if you guys have ever watched Armageddon, you kind of picture it. You, know, like, yeah, you kind of imagine what outer things in outer space look like and kind of picture, you know, like, and so they, 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 they fly up and they land on this this big thing that's flying through the air that's going to destroy the earth and they begin to drill down in and then you know sacrifice yourself it's a great move my heart my heart's moved hold on one second yeah that was a good moment and so um but i you know i kind of pictured like you know what does space look like and then you see images of me like oh that's that's not quite what i imagined well the same thing was true when i went to when i went to see the grand canyon i kind of pictured the big hole and, and we thought about it all the way on our drive over there and we got out there and and the hole was big Er, than I imagined, and 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 like there were like paths that people could walk on, and I was like, that is crazy, and there was like donkeys, and <laughs> and then there was this dude who ran through the night and made it all the way across, like there were just crazy things, right? Like, but it, it blew my mind, like not what I imagined, not what I expected. It wasn't that what I imagined or expected wasn't true. It's just that it was just different than I thought it would be. And maybe you've had some kind of experience like that. You know, like, I, I've had experiences like that that were, that were less pleasant, too. Like, I imagined when I joined on the basketball team in sixth grade that I was going to be an all-star. And in the last game, the other team called timeout, and they took all of their players and set, took them to the baseline, and they gave me the ball so that I could score so that I wouldn't have an entire season without any points. All right? So it's not that what I imagined was wrong. It's just that it didn't go the way I thought it would. And I imagine a little bit of that is true. Now, now I'll make, make it a little bit lighter situation, but picture this. The disciples had followed Jesus faithfully. They had given up everything. They had walked away from family and friends. They, they, had, put their, they had literally put their life on the line, and, and, and may, maybe at times they, they ran away from putting their life on the line, but, but they had fully bought in to what Jesus was doing. And then Jesus does this, right? He goes to this cross thing, and he's hanging there, and they're like, this is not what I pictured literally not what I thought was going to happen. Like, they heard him saying that he would have to die, but not the way they imagined it to go. And it seems like he is defeated, and, and, then, and then to the tomb he goes, and, and the hope is like, ah, I'm lost. And, and then for days you're like scared for your life because the one you had followed had just been crucified, and, and so you're kind of believing that there's no hope for you. It's a, it's a hopeless day. And the disciples are locked up. Now, now interestingly, enough the, the scripture says if you're in if you look with me in verse 19 it says on the on the evening of the first day of that week when the disciples were together so one of the things that they did is even in the midst of their fear they banded together let's just acknowledge this let's acknowledge this for one second as followers of jesus we are not created to be alone and some of us some are going to get amen soon some of us some of us when the situations get tough we isolate. We isolate. We push everybody else away. 
right? And then in, internally in our own head and in our own heart, we begin to wrestle with the, with the feelings of being alone. And I just want to say to some of us, like, come out. Come on. Like, you don't have to sit there alone. Like, come join in. There's a, there's a gathering of other broken people that will be happy to sit next to you in the midst of what is fear and trembling. But check this out. If you're together in that, you recognize something about the presence of God. Scripture says that when two or three are gathered, two or more are gathered, the presence of God is there, right? You recognize, it's not that the presence of God wasn't there before that second or third person showed up. It's that all of a sudden, when we come together, there's an understanding, there's a revelation of the presence of God. That when I, when I get near near Crawford, when I get near Heather, I experience the fullness of God that I don't experience when I'm on my own all alone. Somebody understand that today? Somebody get there. When the disciples were together with their doors locked, why? For fear of who? The Jewish leaders. Let's take a walk back in time for a minute. Remember, Jesus is uh, he, he, he's, he's on trial, and, uh, and he's presented to the people and he's presented to the Jewish, to, to the to people at large. And then some people from the crowd start to shout out. Specifically, it's the Jewish leaders. They're the ones who begin to cry. They say, crucify him. But who are they talking to? They're talking to the ones who rule the Roman Empire, right? They're the ones who have the authority to carry this out. But, but it's the Jewish leaders who are, who are sentencing him, even though they have no authority to sentence him. They're the ones who are, who are casting out this. They're, they're sentencing him. To, to death. And so they, they hold this, this power, even though they, they literally don't have the power. But, but now that has intrinsically been passed. The disciples are in fear of those same people because they're in fear that they're going to hear the same thing. You know, like they're going to hear somebody saying, kill them, kill them, get rid of them, crucify them. We're done with them. And, and look, I got to say this, like, if you can kill my Messiah, I'm pretty certain you can take me out, right? So they have a right to be fearful. They're like, I just saw Jesus die at the hands of these guys. So surely if they'll kill Jesus, they're going to come after me. So they're sitting and they're fearful. And, and, and you can imagine it for a minute. Like, where do you go when you're, when you're scared? All right, all right. You don't want to think about that. Let's go back to when we were kids. All right, everybody be about this tall again, okay? You know, when you're like five, you're six. You know when you're like, mom, leave the light on at night because I'm going to... Some of y'all still do that? Okay, bad example, okay. But you know, you're like, mom, leave the light on. You know, it's too dark at night to go to sleep because, you know, crazy things come out from under the bed or out of the closet and stuff like that. And you, you call mom or dad into the room. You're like, I want you to check the closet. Make sure there's no little gremlins in there and check under the bed and all those kind of things. Where do you go when you're, when you're scared? Now you're thinking, well... Pastor Ray, that's a silly example. I know. I know it is, right? But I'm pretty certain that every one of us has things that kind of shakes us to the core still. We have things that we're just like, man, if I really put my mind to that right now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tense up. I'm going to... Well, for the disciples, that thing in this moment was death. It was death. It wasn't the people who had the ability to kill it was the fact that, that death was, was, was there. It was coming. So what do you do? You, you, you close yourself in. You lock the doors. You try to come up with a game plan. And then this is where the story gets really good. Scripture says that Jesus came and he stood among them. Now, 
we've done this, we've done the superhero thing before, we've done that, you know, like what superpower would you like to have if, if you were a superhero? Jesus puts on display one of his that's, that none of us have been able to carry forward yet, right? He shows up in the room. Think about it. He shows up in, in, in the moment when the people are the most fearful. This is the most fearful we've seen the disciples. And we always find ourselves amazed at the fact that he shows up even though the doors were locked. And that is pretty amazing. But honestly, I don't think that's the most amazing part of that story. I think the most amazing part of the story is when he shows up. Not where he shows up. It's when he shows up. Wouldn't it be pretty amazing if, 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 if God just kind of showed up in your situation? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I got a ton of questions I want to ask him. But wouldn't it be even more amazing if God showed up in my situation when I thought I was at the absolute bottom, when I had nowhere to turn, when I felt hopeless, when I was fearful of my life? Wouldn't it be even more amazing if in that darkest moment of life, God showed up? So what is most amazing about this story is not that God showed up. Matter of fact, God has had the, pro had the practice all throughout Scripture of showing up. But God shows up here in a moment when the disciples felt hopeless, scared for their life. I mean, everything they had been charged and challenged to do was gone. They were just simply like, how do I live to tomorrow? And God showed up. If I could pause the story for a minute and ask you a question, I would ask this. What's the situation in your life where you're saying, God, I need you to show up? What's that situation where you're sitting there saying, God, I need you to show up? It might be in a situation where you feel hopeless or helpless. It might be in a situation where you, where you feel like you've done your best, but you just can't quite get there. It might be in a, in a, in a situation where you're walking with somebody else and, and you're like, man, I... They, they just need to experience you in a way that's going to alter their reality. It might be in your marriage. It might be with your kids. It might be with your extended family. Who knows where it is? But you have a situation where you're like, God, it's amazing if you show up. But it'd be even more amazing if you would show up in this right here. After he had said, and when he shows up, what he says to them is, Peace be with you. We'll have a, we'll have a moment here. Well, it, the word here is, is shalom. Go ahead, let's say that together. Shalom. Shalom, it, it, it communicates so much more than what we understand when we say peace be with you. It was, the, it was a natural greeting like, hey, how you doing, right? It's the, it was that kind of thing. It was also like, you know, it was, it was the presence of, it was the practice of presence, of, of being, you know, with one another when you say shalom. It, it communicated so much more than peace be with you, but, it, but that's kind of the best we can do to kind of sum it up. And so Jesus just says to them, peace in the midst of what is fear and trembling. Peace, be at peace. Peace, rest. Peace, I'll take care of this. Shalom, I'm present with you. Like, this was so much more that he was saying when he says to them, peace. And the disciples, after this, he, he shows them his hands and his sides, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw that it was the Lord. Jesus just played a game with the disciples that every one of us played when we were kids. That game is called show and tell. Show and tell. You remember show and tell when you were a kid? Come on. Come on. Somebody put your hand up. Do you remember it? I'm not the only one, right? They have a new name for it in school now. They don't call it show and tell anymore. 
my wife was here, she would tell me what they called it, Greenwoods, kindergarten class. It's like share time or something. Like they don't call it show and tell for some reason. They call it something else. But they, they bring something and they talk about it, you know, same idea. Well, well, Jesus did that. Jesus did that. Like, think about what Jesus did so far. So far, he showed up in a moment when they were fearful, right? Right? He shows up. He shows up in their darkest moment, right? That's the first thing he does. The second thing he does, he speaks to. He speaks to the situation they're in. He knows that they are scared to death. And he says, peace be with you. Like, I'm here. I'm here. And then not only does he show up, like, as if that wasn't enough, then he, then he says, let me prove to you of who I am. By the way, <clears throat> I think if you show up in a room where the doors are locked, there's no way in, and you appear, I'm pretty confident on who you are. Pretty confident on who you are, all right? Just going to put that out there. Just going to put that out there. God, if you just, in this room, pretty sure I know who you are, all right? But just to be, just, just to clarify, he shows up. The doors were locked. He's present. He speaks to their situation, and then he shows them. He literally reveals them. Look, confirmation. This is who I am. And as they send, as they let their eyes see, oh, oh. Literally, just days ago, those wounds were inflicted on you. I get it. I get it. Again, Jesus says to them, "Peace be with you." Now, the second time that Jesus says this, peace be with you, he's already kind of calmed the storm of life, right? The first time he speaks to, he's speaking directly to the storm of their life. The second time that he says this to, it's because he's going to follow that, that, that word, that natural greeting with a new charge, a new challenge, a new command, a new directive. In other words, he's setting them up for what he's going to send them out to. So he calms the storm of their life. You remember hearing some stories about that, right? Earlier in the Gospel of John. He calms some storm in their life, and now he's going to send them into something. So he says, peace be with you. Again, he greets it and he says, as the Father has sent me now, I am sending you. Come on, somebody get with me. As the Father has sent me, now I am sending you. I've got a job for you. I've got a responsibility for you. I've got a post for you. I've got something for you to go and do. If you, uh, if you have your Bibles, turn back to John 15 real quick. Flip over to John 15 and find verse 9. John 15, 9. Let me hear amen when you get there. Come on, let me hear a couple more. I need another minute. All right, here's what it says. John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I. Somebody got their Bibles out. Come on, John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I. Loved you. So, so John, in the, in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, the Father loved me and therefore I'm loving you. Now, and when Jesus comes back before the disciples, he says, as the Father has sent me, now I am sending you. In other words, what I've been commissioned to do, I'm now commissioning you to do. The way God loved me, the way Father loved me, the way, the, the way, the way we, the Godhead, were together. Now you are going to be sent out into this. So Jesus prepares to, to send them into their, their mission field. But just the way Jesus, the way Jesus would, he's not going to send them out empty-handed, so he breathes on them. That sounds familiar. When you hear that Jesus breathes on them, what do you think about? Come on, what is it? Well, yeah, that he's going to breathe the Holy Spirit on them, but when you think about that idea of breathing on them, when does the breath of life come and give somebody something? Yeah, yeah, in Genesis, thank you, in Genesis, you know, like, there's nothing, and the breath of life comes, and all of a sudden, there's, whew, there's life inside that body, right? So, so here it is, so Jesus breathes on them, and life, 
comes. And the life that comes is specifically the presence of the Holy Spirit. He commissions them. He seals them with the presence of the Spirit of God to go with them. I said at the beginning, I said when Jesus says, peace be with you, part of what he's saying is, is I'm present with you. The practice of presence, right? So now he's commissioning them with that same practice. I'm going to go with you. The Holy Spirit will be present with you. Jesus said, if I don't die, one who is greater won't you, you won't be able to have, right? The Spirit of God will come and be upon you, and even greater things will be accomplished through the Holy Spirit. So God gives him, gives them the, pre- the presence of the Holy Spirit in that moment through the breath that Jesus breathes out. If you, and then, he get, then he goes on to give them this last thing. We'll talk about that in just a second. I want to kind of rattle some points off that, we're, that I've been trying to talk about this morning, and sorry if I'm going too quick for you, but post the death of Jesus, there's a spirit of hopelessness that the disciples are beginning to battle. The battle appeared to be lost, but the disciples uh, in, in fear were, were locking themselves in and kind of waiting to, to try to figure out what to do next. And in that moment of hopelessness, Jesus shows up. He shows up and he gives them the story of the show and tell. He disarms them with the words of peace and comfort. And then he provides them with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus arms us with his same mission that he himself was already aimed to carry out. And that mission, quite simply, is summed up by this. I like how you guys pointed to the Great Commission a minute ago. It's summed up by saying, go. If you don't take anything else home with you today, take this. Go. There's a charge, there's a challenge in that. Go. There's something ahead of you that God is sending you to. Go. There's something that God has for you. Go. There's somewhere that God wants you to be. Go. There's something that God is asking you to do. Go. Jesus is going to commission the disciples to go, to go the same way that Jesus himself went. And and we're going to see in just a second, but, but in order to do that, you know what the disciples naturally think about. God, you want me to go. I'm not ready. If God just called you right now to get up and go somewhere, you would begin to rattle off all the reasons why it's not a good idea. Right? Come on, let's be honest, right? Right? Come on, can we be fair? Can we be fair? And some of us might just jump up, you know, you know, free, free living folks. We're like, I'll go, whatever, take me. But most of us would be like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I got to negotiate this in my brain first, and I got a lot of ideas of why this wouldn't work out. Right? But the commission still is go. It's go. It's I got something ahead of you. Go. I'm asking you to go do something. Go. So Jesus, recognizing that, is going to equip them to do something that is great. Look what it says in verse 20. Uh, 23, Jesus says to them, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, this is a, this is a theological moment here for us. Let me help us understand something. Jesus is not actually giving them the divine power to forgive sins. That is reserved by the Father. All right? The Father forgive sins. He does that through the lens, come on, somebody's with me, through the lens of the Son, Jesus, right? So we are covered by the Son, by the Son of God, by Jesus Christ. And so when the Father looks upon us, he sees the blamelessness of the Son, right? Jesus did not give us the ability to forgive sins. I can't walk up to somebody and say, hey, you, Everything you've ever done wrong is forgiven. You and God will be great forever. Not mine to do. But I can 
proclaim the gospel. And if I will proclaim the gospel and somebody will believe upon the gospel, the, the gospel suggests that Jesus' death and resurrection, that Jesus is reappearing before the disciples, that Jesus showing up in the room that was locked and closed, that, that Jesus defeated death and therefore has the power to go before the Father in pureness and wholeness on behalf of you and me, if we will confess our sins and believe upon him. He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and will purify us or cleanse us from whatever we've done. Right? So I can, I can go forward with the good news. I can see Sean, and I can come up to Sean and say, Sean, I know a God who loves you. I know a God who died for you. And I know that God will forgive you of everything if you'll confess your belief in him. Right? Proclaiming that good news and then someone responding to that good news is eternal forgiveness. So, so the disciples were commissioned to go. To go and do what? Ultimately, to go and make disciples. Well, how do you go and make disciples? I've got to proclaim the gospel. I've got to teach the good news. I've got to offer somebody the ability and the chance to believe that God is the one who forgives. And if they will believe that God is the one who forgives, and if they will confess with their mouth and believe in their heart, then Jesus has declared that they are forgiven. So when Jesus says to the disciples to go, and he says, if you forgive them their sins, they'll be forgiven. If you proclaim the good news, and you, and, and literally they respond that he is promising the disciples that that work will not be in vain. He is promising the disciples that that is enough. He is saying to the disciples that literally if they will go out there with the good news. Now, somebody's got to understand this today because if he said it to the disciples, he's saying it to us. If we'll go forward with the good news, if we'll go and proclaim the gospel, if we'll offer the hope to somebody and somebody responds to it, you know what? That doesn't fall void. It doesn't. It doesn't mean that everything in their life is going to turn into to, to peaches and ice cream afterwards, but it doesn't fall void. The gospel wins the day because Jesus paid the price. So he says to the disciples, go and forgive, and they're forgiven. And if they don't forgive, if you don't forgive them, they're not forgiven. If you don't take the good news, they don't hear it. If they don't hear it, they don't respond to it. If they don't respond to it, they're still lost. They're still lost. got your Bibles, flip over to Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. Come on, let's get there quickly. Exodus chapter 4. Let me hear amen when you get there. Come on, Exodus 4, verses, starting in verse 1. Scott, do we have any chance to get that on here too? Is, that, is, it, is it possible? That'd be great. Exodus 4. All right, I'm going to wait for two or three more. All right, here it goes. Read this story with me. Exodus 4, starting in verse 1. It'll, whenever it jumps on the screen, you can follow along. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or they do not listen to me? And they say, the Lord did not appear to you. Then the Lord said to him, to Moses, this is God and Moses having this encounter. Then God says to Moses, what is that in your hand? And it, it, it's a staff, Moses replied. And the Lord said, throw it on the ground. And Moses threw it on the ground and it, and it became a snake and, and he ran from it. And then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out his hand and took, about, took the snake by the tail and, and, and it it turned back into a staff in his hand, and this is what the Lord said. It is so that you, uh, it, it, this, said the Lord, 
is so that you may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. God is confirming to Moses in this moment, look, I am who I am and I'm right in front of you. This literally is the revelation of God himself to Moses in that moment. He says, I'm the one who is charging you to go and do this. And then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. And so Moses put his hand inside of his cloak and when he took it out, the skin of the skin, his skin was leprous and, and it had, uh, had become white as snow. And, and, and now put it back in your cloak, he said. And so Moses put his hand back into his cloak and when he took it out, it was restored like the, like the rest of his flesh. And then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe those two signs or they do not listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it out on the dry ground and the water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. And Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord, but I have never been, uh, been eloquent in my voice and neither in my past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I, I'm slow to speech and slow on the tongue. And the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths and, and who makes the deaf or mute? Uh, who, who gives them sight or who makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I'll help you speak, and I'll teach you what to say. God was having this encounter with Moses, and his charge to them was to go. And his challenge to Moses was responded to by Moses by saying, I've got a lot of reasons why I shouldn't. And God said, I'll prove myself to you again, but at the end of the story, my charge is the same. Now go. Go. I've given you all that you need. Go. Can you imagine for a minute what it must have been like to be one of the disciples? Everything you had hoped for, everything you thought that was going to happen was different than how it ended up looking. And so you're like, I don't know. Jesus shows up in the room. You're like, okay, I'm not as scared anymore because you're here, but I'm a little bit nervous that you're going to leave again. And Jesus said, no, no, it's really me. Look, it's me. Yep, yep, touch, see, feel. It's me. But I'm not here to be here with you. I'm here to send you, to commission you, to charge you. And my presence will go even though I myself in the flesh will no longer be present with you. And I can imagine that you and I sitting in a room like that would have a lot of reasons to come up with to say, hey, God, you know, maybe, maybe somebody else. Maybe send him. He looks a little bit more a little braver than me, or send her, she looks a little more eloquent than me, or she speaks a little more eloquent than me. A lot of reasons. And God says, no, 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 no. I'll show you again. I'll tame the snake. I'll, I'll change your skin. Whatever it takes, I'll show you again who I am. At the end of the day, I'm the one who's saying, go. Go. And the disciples were left to decide how to respond. I imagine that Peter was visited just like this. We know the story that Peter lives, that in his uh, last encounter at the foot of the cross, Peter denies Jesus. Seems like all hope is lost in any restorative plan. And we know that in John chapter 21, by the way, which we're not going to get to today, but in John chapter 21, Jesus reinstates Peter. He reaffirms Peter's destiny for ministry. But if you were to flip over, you don't have time to do this now, but if you flip over to Acts chapter 3 and you were to look at verses 13 and 14, you can just take note of it. In Acts chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, 
Peter is preaching. He's preaching, check this out, he's preaching to Jewish people. He's preaching to Jewish leaders. And in the scripture, it says that thousands of people responded in this moment. Peter was hopeless. Peter denied him. Peter rejected him. Peter ran for his life. Peter was probably huddled somewhere, scared to death. Peter, he gets reinstated by Jesus, reaffirmed for his commission to ministry. And then Jesus, and, through, and, then, and then God, through Peter, turns around and wins thousands of the people who had just literally condemned Jesus to death. He wins thousands of them to the Lord. I'm saying this to say this to every one of us. Jesus calls us to go. He commissions us to go. Yes, we're going through something on the way to get there, but get this, it doesn't change where he's sending us. It doesn't change what he's doing to us. It doesn't change what he's asking of us. And as a result of those things, if we will obediently respond to the gospel, people will respond. People will say yes. People will surrender their life. Eternity will be changed for others. Thousands upon thousands thousands upon thousands, and check this out, you're a result of one of them. You are sitting here today because somebody was faithful with the gospel ahead of you. And check this out, fast forward 20 years from now, someone else will be sitting here today because of your faithfulness with the gospel. Because you heard the call from God to go. You heard the call from God to support. You heard the call from God to stand up. You heard the invitation to knock on a door. You heard someone say, speak, and you spoke. You responded when the gospel moment was present, and as a result, someone's life was changed. If you're going to take notes, here's my last three things for us to go home with today. First thing I want to say to every one of us is may you have the peace of knowing that God is for you. Someone needs to hear this today. May you have the peace of knowing that God is for you. The disciples were locked in a house because they were scared to death. And Jesus showed up simply to bring the peace to them that they would know that he was still for them. You blew it. You blew it. You dug a hole so deep there's no way for you to dig out of it. You had a moment to shine and your light went out. But I want to say this to you today. God is still for you. God is still for you. He will restore. He will continue to call you back to himself and recommission what he has already commissioned in you. Yield to that. Yield to that. Second, may we each have the peace of knowing that it is God who sends us. There's a lot of directions we could go and a lot of things we could seek to accomplish. But if we have the understanding that it is God who commissions it to be, when, God, when, when Moses is standing, standing there trying to debate back and forth with God about whether he should go, God says, I am who I am, and I'm sending you. And he says, well, not, 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 not me. I can't even talk right in front of all these people. Like, send somebody else. He said, I'll send a whole lot of people with you, but I'm still sending you. Because it is God who commissions that moment. And so when you're sitting there and you're wrestling through what's ahead of you, I want you to hear this today. It is God who commissions what's next. You get to discern it. He commissions it. He's the one who designs it. You just get to seek to understand it. And in your yielding to him, you step forward faithfully. Moses still was not eloquent of tongue. 
but he sure led the people. Last thing I want to say, may each one of us have the peace of knowing that if God has called us to it, God will see, it, see us through it. I could imagine how the, the gospel story goes if Jesus doesn't show up in the room in that moment. The disciples stay in the room and they're fearful for what is next and worried about their life and slowly they grow a little bit more courage as days pass on to weeks, pass on to months, pass on to years. And the gospel inches its way forward. But that's not what the story says. The story says that God showed up and reminded them that if he called them to it, he'll see them through it. The doors burst open. The disciples run forward with the gospel. We see within a very short period of time that, that, that literally the, uh, that, that the one-to-one ratio has, has duplicated over and over and over again. We see Peter leading thousands. We see Paul uh, planting churches. We, we see 2,000 years later that this is where we sit. This happens because God promised that if he called us to it, he'll see us through it. He shows up with the disciples and then charges them to go. To go, I'm with you. Breathe the Spirit of God on them. You're not alone in this. I know you feel like you're stuck. I know you're scared for your life, but peace, because I'm present. I'll never leave you again. I'll never leave you again. I was uh, with some friends yesterday at, uh, at the church picnic, the, the family who host the, hosted us at their house for the church picnic, they were, uh, were having a conversation, and, and the young lady who lives at the house was saying that she uh, volunteers in a ministry down in Kensington, and, and, uh, and uh, she, it's, a, it's, a, it's a women's shelter down there, and, and, uh, and so she was saying that, uh, that they, were, they were gathered together in, in the morning, and they were praying, and, 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 and she kind of was alerted in her spirit that there was something that was not right going on, and she opened her eyes, and she saw it, and she ran, and she inter- intervened into it. And, uh, and her husband was standing there, and he was like, two things are coming to my mind right now. Number one, seems like a pretty sketchy situation that you had to step into. Number two, maybe she just learned to pray with her eyes open. And, uh, and we all just kind of chuckled for a moment. And then we just realized this in that moment, that God was present enough even when she was blinded to the situation, for her to discern, I've got to do something. Can I, can I say this to us today? I know there are days ahead that are hard, both in your personal life, in your professional life, in your interpersonal life with others, but I know the one who will see us through those situations. And so while the doors, while the, while the shades might be down and the doors might be locked and we might be scared to death. Will you trust that he'll show up? When he shows up, will you respond? And when he calls you to go, will you be faithful? Just be faithful. Whatever that looks like. As hard as that moment is. Last thing, just so that we don't uh, call this a public service announcement for the end of the message. Please don't run out of here saying, oh, I just heard pastor saying, just go. Just go and do anything. There is wisdom in the discernment that we find with other believers. And so as you're discerning 
invite the community of fellowship to be a part of that process with you. There's a reason why the disciples are huddled together. There's something special about this. And I hope as you look around this room and you see others around you, I hope that you find yourself encouraged in knowing that there's something right in the community of believers. Let's pray together. Father God, I know that, that you're the one who calls us, that you're the one who charges us, that you're the one who says to us, now go. And God, I know that in the call to, in the charge and the challenge to go, there's a lot of uh, apprehension and, and questions and am I ready and do I have everything I need and you know, what if I don't get the support that I need or, or you know, what, what if they don't believe what I'm saying and, and I, hear the, I hear what you said to Moses. I hear, test and see, it's still me, now go. Now go. God, I gotta believe that if you're gonna call us to go, you're gonna figure out the details of it. But God, I thank you for the, pre- I, I th- I thank you for the practice of being in fellowship with other believers and for the ability and the gifts that you've given people to discern. And so, God, I pray that as we make those decisions on what it means to go, somebody might be sitting here saying, you know, I I feel like go means to to support, to be a part of. I feel like go means to to go to my local restaurant, my my grocery store, to to, to get at the bus stop and and to speak to somebody. I I feel like go might mean to to get ready and get get prepared to to go into the mission field, to to go back to Haiti in December, to be a part of the trip in April. And and, and, and I don't know what go means, but go might mean to to, to sign up to be a part of what's happening here in Philadelphia. or, or, Or go might means something completely different. You might be calling somebody and commissioning somebody to, 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 to span the globe, to go, to go to a foreign land. But God, what I know is this, that you will, through the process of discernment with other believers, you will allow us to understand how we take that next step. So today I pray, God, that you would defeat the fears that hold us back. I pray, Lord God, that today that you would, you would, you would loosen the things that have bound us up and you would give us the freedom take that next step in our relationship with you. For somebody, go simply might mean to to believe upon you in a new way. In a way that alters our heart's posture towards you. That we would yield ourselves to you. Father God, would you do something great in and through your people. Excited to see how we all respond to the gospel of John. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. We pray it was life-giving. To find out more about us, visit our website at roxboroughchurch.org and join us for worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m.